Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm Sarah Century, and I live in a post-apocalyptic future in which an unhinged policeman has become embroiled in a violent feud with a motorcycle gang. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) And I'm Essie Flinor, and I was stunned when my parents decided I was gay and sent me to True Directions, a boot camp meant to alter my sexual orientation. While there, I met a rebellious and unashamed teen lesbian, Sarah Century. (laughs) I heard that Clea Duvall went there, too. (laughs) Today, we have a question from Quinn via, I don't know, either Twitter or Instagram. I don't remember. My also queer brother informed me that there are rumors about the next X-Men movie and that Lady Gaga will be cast as, quote, some ice queen, a.k.a. Emma Frost. Thoughts? And who's going to be her Jean Grey? <laughs> I think it's great that you say her Jean Grey, because honestly, if Jean Grey is anybody's, I'm going to say it's probably Emma's. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I think that that's cool. That's good casting, I guess. Like, I would assume that Lady Gaga would do a good job playing Emma Frost. It sounds about right. I wouldn't say that, you know, Lady Gaga strikes me as being like a cold person or anything, but also sometimes I really don't think Emma's like that either. So I think that the combination of them both being kind of fiery and aloof a little bit would be good. And like um, fabulous, right? Like they're both people who they manifest their persona, right? Like they're, they're carefully crafting what you get to see. I did, like, think it was interesting that the Emma Frost and Old Man Logan, you know, she still looks exactly like the Emma Frost of, you know, the comics right now. And Wolverine's like, I think he's hitting on her. Have a nice day or whatever. And then, like, someone else is like, yeah, that's because she can, like, project whatever she wants into your head. And I think that that's also something that Lady Gaga does really well, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she creates this version of herself that you get to see. Yes, You know, downside of the casting is, like, I do sort of headcanon Emma as trans. And so, you know, it'd be super cool to have, like, a trans actor play Emma Frost. But, again, like, Lady Gaga, for a sissy, she'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I mean, they haven't done that in the comics really either. So it sucks. Like, it's definitely a character who it would be so nice. But we'll see. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Yeah, God. (laughs) Yeah, God. (laughs) It's bleak. I love it. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is obviously very bleak. And also, like, whatever. I don't need them to necessarily do that in the film. But it would be really cool to see, like, Tracy Lizette, you know, like, stomping around. Because she is also a person who is, like, her fabulousness is, you know, it, it's a performance and she knows it. And she she wields it with such power and, and grace. So, you know, it, it'd be cool to bring, like, that ballroom energy to, um, to Emma, uh, which, you know, could only make her cooler. But, yeah. Again, all those things considered, I think that Lady Gaga is like a really interesting choice. Like I also heard a rumor she was cast as like Ursula from The Little Mermaid, which I was <laughs> much, much angrier about because <laughs> Ursula is a fat purple octopus lady. I'm sorry. She's like in a world full of beautiful, perfect mermaids. And it's like Lady Gaga is a beautiful, perfect mermaid. <laughs> Wasn't like Lizzo trying for that part? Wasn't? Oh my god! Didn't that that would have been so amazing. Did I don't I make know. that up? Oh my god! It's true in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> I remember hearing something. Who knows? You know what? I don't remember what happened on the internet six months ago. So I'm like, <laughs> I maybe mean, so that many happened? things have happened. <laughs> yeah, no idea. I'm gonna look back on this time as just a blur. Yeah, every day is like, oh, this is a historical bad thing. Yeah, and I was like, oh Jesus. And Lady Gaga might play Emma Frost. Yeah, great news. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, okay, so then who is going to be her Jean Grey is the second part of that question. Her beloved Jean. Yeah, her darling, dearest, frenemy Jean. <laughs> ship it, ship it. Yeah, for sure, ship it. Big time. I mean, I think our, half of our shipping episode ended up being about them. <laughs> Was it? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I'm like, well, I ship a lot of people with Jean yeah, Grey. <laughs> I think that it's okay for Jean Grey to have more than one ship. I mean, she is a lot, you know? Yes. Like, she deserves to have her fullness respected, and that might that might be necessary through many partners, and I have nothing but respect for that. Mm-hmm. So we're both big fans of the casting thus far in the X-Men movies when it comes yes. to Jean Grey. I mean, I say I'm a big fan. I think... I should say I am like a junior big fan and Sarah's a big fan. <laughs> I think that those movies are bad. And I think that the casting is what saves them most of the time. <laughs> so whenever I'm going back through the X-Men movies, like they're enjoyable, fun action movies and stuff like that. But as like a comic fan, I never really got that into them. And I was kind of annoyed by them a little bit. Now I've kind of come full circle on it. But Regardless of that, I would say that there's some really good casting in those movies throughout, but a lot of the actors are just given so little to do that it's frustrating. But I would say that Fomk did an incredible job as Jean Grey. I think that there's kind of this amusement behind everything that she's doing that communicates what that character is like. And I loved it. She's in movies that are questionable quality for sure, but her role in them is also very underwritten but she is she great. destroys them you're <laughs> yeah. just like oh yeah she reads the most ridiculous lines you've ever heard and she does it in a really believable way and i think that that yes. is important yes she's given garbage and she's like fine yes. you want to see how garbage can shine i will make it shine you're and like she's Damn. like She's in her mid-40s, so I'm just like, I am fine with seeing Jean in her mid-40s. I wish Mystique yeah. was played by an actor in their 40s or 50s. I wish that Mystique was played by, like, Sarah Paulson or something. Like, that would be so much yes. better. Because it's like, I loved Rebecca Romaine as Mystique as well. I yeah. think that she did a great job. 
we're not really going to talk about J-Law because I don't really want to like trash her or anything. Why? Why? (laughs) So just like, what is that mystique? I don't get it. But I would say like, those are actors that would benefit from that. And I think it would be totally fine. I would at least like to see like a future version of Jean that is played by Fomke. And again, I feel much the same way with Sophie Turner. I think that Sophie Turner did a really good job And that, once again, just wasn't given a lot with the script and, like, the context of the script. But did her work. She did research on the role and, you know, showed up. (laughs) She did everything she could. Everybody criticizes, obviously, the Dark Phoenix movie, which is fair. But also, I think that, you know, she kind of carries it on her back the whole damn time. So I think she does a pretty good job. I agree with everything you said, I think. I love the movies. They have, like, a special place in my heart because they're how I got into comics, especially, like, the first X-Men, the first and second. And so, like, I have, like, a specific fondness for Fomk. I've been saying it wrong, and we'll probably say it wrong again on this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think that she delivered so much of what makes Jean such an attractive character, right? Like, she has so many sides to her, and that, that could be easy to flatten, and I think we see that in some comics. And it's she brought that to life in like a really interesting way. And I just plain like Sophie Turner. <laughs> I think that the script flattened her and that Fomke did a really good job bringing the script to life. Mm, and yeah, well I agree said. with you as far as Sophie Turner goes too. I just think that she's great. I just like her. I just like her. <laughs> it's, it's like lesbians commenting on Thor. We're just like, I just like it. Just like it. I'm here for it. Yeah, you know, it's like, I, I don't know the nuance of either of them. Like, I don't know their anything. But, uh, hey, they seem like Jean Grey to me. <laughs> yeah, they do act. Both of them act like Jean Grey because they both are really good at making it seem like there's a whole other. Like, Jean Grey is one of those characters where everything you see, she's never fully present, right? That's kind of what must be so frustrating for people to be in a relationship with her is she's literally like mind connected to Scott but then she's still going to be having conversations with people in like (laughs) the other room and like doing all of this other stuff she's a multitasker because she is raised in a world where she can hear everybody's voices in her mind even when she tries to block it out there's still some overlap I always think that that's what makes her such an interesting character is is that she's always so active but never fully present in any place that she's in and I think that both of those actors did a great job of portraying that but who do you think should be the new Jean Grey because I have less opinions about this I do not have a lot of opinions but what I thought I could do was pitch people to you Sarah and say why I think they'd be good and then hear you sort of like talk it out like what what do you think would work about them what do you think would be a limitation I don't know. I don't follow like actors that much. It's not really my main beat when it comes to like comics and whatnot. So I thought that'd be silly and fun. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead and say I would propose Amy Adams. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Completely out of left field, but I would just like to see it. Okay, why? What is it about Amy Adams that you want to see as your Jean Grey? I like older characters. I would like for her to be, because, like, I believe that Amy Adams is also in her mid-40s. I would just like to see, like, future versions of Jean, maybe. That would be cool. Or, like, a Jean that is not beholden to the Phoenix (laughs) in any way would be really nice. So just seeing, like, a more mature take on her, I think, is always good. I just would like to see it. I don't know. I think Amy Adams is a good actor. I've seen her be a lot of different people, right? So I think it would be interesting. Yeah, totally. 
She was not on my list. I looked up, like, how old Lady Gaga is, and I was like, oh, so I'll choose people around her age. So everybody on my list is, like, in their 30s because Lady Gaga is 34. <laughs> That's 34. That is ridiculous. I know. I mean, you go, Lady Gogs. Okay, so here is my list in no particular order. I'm going to start with just one. So Evan Rachel Wood looks great as a redhead can act like a motherfucker and is very sexy and bisexual. What do you think? I didn't know that she was bi, but I think that the idea of Evan Rachel Wood versus Lady Gaga in the way that is cute would be great. Those two would have probably a really interesting, aloof interaction, (laughs) like on a regular basis. I think that they could pull it off in a way that was really fun to watch. I do, too. I think it could be real cute. And, yeah, they're both good actors, but they have, like, kind of their specific wheelhouse. And I think that, obviously, too, Evan Rachel Wood is known for doing some really interesting behind-the-camera stuff, too, right? So I think that there would be a lot more of an effort made to kind of go deeper with Gene, maybe, instead of it all just being like, Phoenix, oh. (laughs) Okay, what about Ana de Armas? Wonderful actor, very attractive, really good at emotional depth, but also like can have a real edge. What do you think? Honestly, that's a pretty perfect one. I would go for that. Right? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. I I feel like she's like everywhere right now, which is like fun to like have someone who's hot. Yes, exactly. Hot on the scene. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I went like gayer. What about Kristen Stewart? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Also, too, oh, my God, like the Aries, Aries vibes in that room because Lady Gaga's an Aries and Kristen Stewart's an Aries. She's just played a romance with Mackenzie Davis, who is also an Aries. I'm definitely like a very pro Aries for Aries, Aries. (laughs) I'm all about Aries dating and stuff because I think that power couples are really hot. And so as an Aries, I would like easily marry an Aries. But yeah, I think that that would be wild. I don't think that Kristen Stewart would make a good Jean Grey, (laughs) but um, (laughs) she would probably take the role regardless. Regardless, honestly. Yeah, I don't think it would be good. But I would still fan fiction it. And obviously, like, she would give us such a different take that it could be one of those things with J-Law Mystique where I'm just like, yeah, like, that's J-Law Mystique. Like, that's like a different character entirely, right? So I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Case Stew. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And like, that would be fine, I guess. But I don't see it. Also, whoa, like amp up the fucking lesbian vibes on that real fast. (laughs) You're like, I went gayer. And I was like, no, you went the most gay. Like a (laughs) queer Aries is like the most queer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I just watched Jennifer's Body. So what about Megan Fox or Amanda Seyfried? Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I love Megan Fox so much, but I don't think that she would be a good Jean Grey. I think that Megan Fox... She's a little too fabulous. A little too fabulous. Megan Fox would be a good alternate Emma almost more than Mm. a Jean Grey. For sure. She actually would. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, that's not too bad of an idea. But I'm kind of monitoring what she's putting out these days because I want to see her in more things. But I'm also like... 
it's going to be nice that maybe she's going to start getting to choose some interesting independent features again and stuff like that. Like, I think that that'll be really fun to watch. But as far as like being a Jean Grey, probably not. Whereas Amanda, yeah, we almost already saw like Jean Grey versus Emma in Jennifer's body, right? <laughs> like, it's totally, kind of that. Totally. <laughs> I didn't realize it till I said it. And then I was like, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of similar to it, right? Like that is kind of their interactions. <laughs> Only reversed, right? Because they start as friends and then end up as enemies. Whereas Emma and Jean are well known as enemies to lover trope. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. They're like the definition of that trope. Oh my God. It's so cute. I love it so much. <laughs> Okay, so what about Gemma Chan? That would be cool. I think that that would be so interesting because I have seen Gemma Chan do not that role, right? Like kind of nothing like that a little bit. But it might be really nice to see her do that. I feel like even I would watch like another Phoenix movie if Gemma Chan was the actor because that would be fun, right? Like watching her just kind of be able to run the gamut of Jean Grey's personalities would be really, really fun in a way that it hasn't been. (laughs) So no shade, but it hasn't been. Yeah. Gemma's such a powerhouse actor, you know? She is. I think that that would be really interesting. And she commands subtlety. You know, she she has the ability to, like, convey extremely intense emotions. I just remember in Crazy Rich Asians, like, you know, the moment when her heart is breaking and she's, like, communicating with, like, the edges of her eyes. Like, what are you doing? How are you this good of an actor? And that feels, like, very Jean Grey to me. Oh, totally. That's kind of my point is like it would be interesting because I feel like the natural inclination for so many actors is to overplay like the transformation into Phoenix. I mean, like that's what the directors are asking them to do as well, to be fair, (laughs) like and the producers, (laughs) everybody really wants a hysterical Jean Grey. But like seeing an actor like Jimma Chan take it on, I think would be so, so interesting. So like If you were going to do a Phoenix story or even like a beginnings of Phoenix story or something like that, the beginnings of the Dark Phoenix saga where like Emma and Jean actually do fight with each other and stuff, I would love to see Gemma in that role. Like that specific era of Jean Grey, I think that she would do a really, really good job with. I totally agree. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. 
yeah, it's kind of like getting to talk about different actors is is exactly that. Getting to talk about like what kind of gene would they be? And like what period of her life would that be like an accurate one? And what would it be like? Maybe, maybe not quite right. Right. When she's like showing up to the Hellfire Club in that black dress and like all of that shit is going down. I feel like I'm just like, oh, my God, that would be rad to see Gemma Chan do. Yes. Yes. I can't say no to almost anybody and I don't have negative things to say about people for the most part. So I can only be like, oh, that could be interesting because, you know, or something like that. Because even when people are like, oh, my God, this actor was so terrible in that role. I'm always just like, they made it their own. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love that about you. You don't like to say mean things about anybody. Especially not women ever yeah, or like, like other queer people. If I can avoid it, yeah. sometimes you have to like yell at a gay dude <laughs> for yeah, sure. But these things happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what about Jamie Clayton? I think of all the actresses on Sunset being so incredible, you know, so she's good at like the weird acting, right? Like the sense of weirdness. And, and so beautiful. So she's Ugh, like beautiful, yeah. Jean, where you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> like... like Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like the gene that's like way too beautiful and everybody has a crush on her. That's that gene. Yeah, I think she would be good. I think that she was really good at playing kind of low-key, kind of like tragic figures. So she might be really good at upping the tragedy of Jean, which is like sometimes they focus too much on it, but I think that she could make it be interesting. Well, that's everybody I've got. And I think if you add Amy Adams to that list, that's not too bad of a slate there. Yeah. All right, Quinn, thank you so much for your question. It was really, really fun to just speculate about something we have no control over, which is the point of the podcast. Well, (laughs) thanks for joining us, folks. everybody have you ever thought i would like to tell people about this podcast and have more people listen to it well i think that you should and here's how so you could go and give us a five-star rating and review us if you would like now i'm not trying to make demands on your time but i don't think it'll take that long so if you have just a few seconds then that would help us out a lot thank you Sarah. Uh, 2020, not a great year for most of us. Not a great time to be alive. Yeah. I prefer being alive to be fair. So, you know, it is what it is. But one of the highlights of 2020 was Blacktober. You know, just this huge, effusive outpouring of art by Black artists, of, you know, reimagined canonical characters as Black characters, original characters as Black characters. I just loved it. I was just, it felt like just being fed beautiful things all day on my Twitter. It really Uh, was, yeah. What I really enjoyed too is there's just so many different kinds of art, different styles. You know, you've got beginning artists, you've got artists who are very established, artists again doing original characters, doing characters that have already, you know, been in, in canon somewhere. And just honestly, everyone 
looks so happy. Like, I know that there are lots of ones where the people aren't happy in them, but, like, the majority of them, I feel like everyone looked like they were having the time of their lives. Both the character in the image and, like, the person posting, and that was such a powerful time, especially as we were heading into the election, and it felt like, who knows? So I was really grateful for Blacktober this year and for all the artists who participated. And one of the very cool things I found, because I ended up following a ton of the artists, because I was like, oh, I want more cute art on my Twitter. Follow, follow, follow. Yeah. And they did a zine. And so they have a Blacktober zine 2020. It is super duper cute. There's like a really cute Daria and Jane where they're black and they look adorable. That's one of my favorite ones. There's also, instead of white diamond from Steven Universe, a black diamond. Oh my God. She's so cool. What were some of the ones you liked? Oh, the Catra takes, right? Oh like my I God, loved the I wanted to cry with all of the Catra. Yeah, I mean, the storms, there was so many storms that were just gorgeous. The best part of the zine, honestly, is it's just people being like, this is my character that I really love and like just doing art around that. Like there's nothing better than that because it's just somebody getting to do exactly what they want. And it was for this kind of greater purpose. Also, I just want to say people should definitely look that hashtag up and you can find ways to support a lot of different artists by just looking them up, you know, retweeting their stuff, sometimes commissioning them if you can. I'm sure that almost... All of them, if not all of them, are open for commissions. And uh, if you get the zine, you'll see all of this gorgeous work by all of them. And it's beautiful. I mean, it was an incredible thing to look through and just to kind of smile through because, like I said, I mean, it's how we all feel whenever we talk about our very favorite character. We get to do like a piece of art around our very favorite character, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think you're right, Sarah. Another way to think about this is it's absolutely a celebration. That's what I see so much when I read the zine is it's just a celebration of this beautiful art that people created. The other thing is, is like it's a catalog of people you can commission for things for yourself. If you're working on a webcomic, if you ever hear someone saying, hey, I'm looking for an artist who does X and you remember somebody from this. Hey, so and so, did you see this? You know, we're big on mutual aid. We're big on looking out for each other. And this is just another way we can look out for black artists. And that's something that we should all be deeply invested in. Where you can find it is if you just go to gumroad.com, you can look up Blacktober or Blacktober 2020. Oh, actually, it's gumroad.com backslash L backslash Blacktober 2020. That'll take you right to it. It's actually a free zine. You can download it for free. I contributed a little money when I picked it up because I want to see more of this and I'm really excited about what they've done. It has five stars on Gumroad. I just saw that. (laughs) It's like a massive zine, right? It's like 240 pages. (laughs) Yeah, it has a lot of pages. It is uh, certainly worth free, but also certainly worth like a few bucks for sure. Yeah. Oh, and the thing I don't think we mentioned is what's really cool, too, is next to the art, each person has talked a little bit about what Blacktober meant to them. Yeah. It's really moving. People talking about connecting with other black people for some of them, they're saying for the first time, you know, artists who are biracial who are saying, you know, I haven't met a lot of other black people. I'm so excited to be doing this as a black Mexican. And it's just I don't know, man. It just made me very emotional, very excited. 
please go pick it up. Again, it's on Gumroad. You can just do Gumroad Blacktober zine or Gumroad Blacktober 2020. You'll pick it up. This one is hosted and curated by the actual Cell, C-E-L. And the Blacktober graphic, which is very cool at the top of the page, is made by Apple Wifey. So we are super proud of everybody who did Blacktober. Thank you for sharing your art with us and thank you for letting us get to just like revel in the beauty of your, your work. Yeah, it was great. week's comic of the week is The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis. This is the second Eleanor Davis comic that we have reviewed. The first one was Why Art, which we had a lot of very positive and wonderful things to say. I want to start this with the quote from the back cover by Jaime Hernandez, who is obviously one of the creators of Love and Rockets. He says, nobody draws like Davis. Get used to it. I sure had to. (laughs) That's a great comment. Uh, Yeah, I mean... I loved this work. I thought it was really fantastic. Very different from Why Art. Much more narrative, much more character-driven, less philosophical. Well, not less philosophical, differently philosophical. I loved it. I was really, really impressed when I read it. And it's weird now because it's, you know, about a near future and there's like a lot of protesting going on, a lot of fighting for individual rights. And it was just really interesting being at a time where I'm like, oh my gosh, now the world has sort of spun out even more. It's like reflecting things before they happen. I don't know. Is she clairvoyant? Possibly. (laughs) I think that the point of it for me was that this is always happening. There's always, you know, a couple who really loves each other who's trying to have a kid in a fucked up world. You know, like there's always these issues happening. Like there's always somebody who has clients that are anti-Semitic and they're Jewish. All of these kind of social justice aspects of this have been consistent. And I think that this is kind of coming from a place of like crust punkish kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It strikes me very much like some of the people who I know in Portland and stuff like that who have been there for a long time. Definitely. I got big, big vibes of that. Yeah, because I mean, there's like people who are trying really hard to create this kind of world that they want to live in. And then um, the outside world and fascism just keeps coming in and they can't ignore it, obviously. Like, I don't think that they'd want to ignore it. It seems like they're trying really hard to engage with this stuff and get around it. But they're trying to create life in a world that is just terrifying. And I, I just think that there's so much there, you know, there's so much that we can talk about because it's the present situation. It's the future situation. It's the past situation. Like this is something that people really do struggle with where they love each other so much and the world doesn't love them at all. You know, the world is brutal and terrifying and trying to take what they love away from them. And they're still going to do it because it's worth everything. Right. You're absolutely right. There's a universality to it, like a timelessness to it, even though it is near future. And I think that that's what makes the title so powerful, The Hard Tomorrow. I always love thinking about the term tomorrow because tomorrow's not real, right? Like it's a day that never comes because now it's today. And I think that saying something is the hard tomorrow is like there's always a hard tomorrow. It's always going to be a challenge, a new challenge on the horizon. Yeah, I loved this piece. I mean, I, I love Davis. Her art is so cool. It's so evocative. You know, she has these beautiful full page spreads that are just like filled, you know, corner to corner with I keep thinking about this protest page and not only are all the signs really cool and like the art's really cool, but it just has this 
ability to communicate the experience of being at a protest. I haven't seen it in any comics personally. And I just, I really felt like it was doing something unique. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, this perspective doesn't get to comics, you know, so the parenthood of it doesn't make it to comics. We don't see this story. We don't see people struggling, you know, and trying to conceive and, you know, all of that. We don't see it. We never see these stories. Well, it's a deeply feminist story, right? Like there's there's so many stories we don't see in comics because they're, they're stories about women and queer people. And I love that the main character is really conflicted about, yeah, she wants a baby and yeah, she wants to be with her partner, but ooh, there's this woman who's pretty attractive, you know? <laughs> like I like yeah. the complicated nature of it. He's like, you're going to leave me for Gabby. <laughs> and she's like, I don't even think that she has dated a Jewish woman. <laughs> That's her response. <laughs> That's, such a, good, such, a, such a funny way to answer something without answering it at all. Yeah, she's like, I have thought about that. <laughs> I, have a, I have an immediate response. <laughs> yes. And it's that I don't think she'd have me. Um. <laughs> I also like that there's, for being like such a progressive work, I thought it was really cool too that Davis has, you know, this character who would be definitely a right winger, very conspiracy theorist driven and gets to be this object of tragedy, not of comedy. And I think so often when people on the left, or, you know, progressive folks depict people who are conservative or conspiracy theorists who are, you know, again, poor probably, or maybe just also live rurally, it's like to make fun of them. And in and, and this story, it's like deeply tragic. I don't think the person is funny. I think he's devastating. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he has things he's right about. And he has a lot of things he's very wrong about. And his death is just this huge moment of clarity. Oops, spoiler. For the other characters, you know, or well, the other male character he spends time with. I just thought there was a lot of tenderness in, in the experiences there and a lot of tenderness in depicting this friendship between two men. And I wasn't expecting that. And I, you know, kind of broke my heart in like a really beautiful way. Yeah, I think that the complexity of everything is kind of what comes up again and again whenever you're reading this comic. Like there's a scene where the cop pulls her over and she refuses to give anything. And then the girl's just like, all right, well, we have the ticket if you'll take one of my kids or something. And then she cracks up and she's like, oh no, a cop made you laugh. Antifa is going to kick you out. (laughs) Just totally giving her shit. And I was just like, fuck. Because there's like, we all know that a cab forever, but fucking they're complicated, you know? It's like the same as everything. Like even the most right-wing jackass in this comic is complicated because humans are fucking complicated. And that's kind of how I feel when I think about a lot of conservative people because you'll see conservative people who are like queer, you know? (laughs) Like you see people who are Trump supporters who like are fucking from Mexico, you know? Like you see people, a lot of people's knee-jerk response is obviously to be like, that's dumb. And I'm just like, yeah, it is. But also... (laughs) Like it comes from all of this stuff and it's like our society creates these people too, you know? Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it, Sarah. They're people and people are complex and people do good and people do bad and the liberal and progressive people in this story do shitty things and the conservative people do shitty things, but they're people. And that's what I love about Davis's work in general, but specifically in this one is just how willing she is to mine the human experience and reflect back all the different facets, the positive, negative, neutral. It's really thoughtful. Yeah, there's so much about this. I think that it's very important that this is a pregnancy story. Obviously, that's 
such an inspiration. And I saw Eleanor Davis do kind of shorter comics that were around pregnancy. So I think that that's awesome. But you never see it from this perspective. I think it had it reminded me a lot of Judy Chicago whenever she was pregnant and she was just like women's bodies are you know, 92% of the paintings and museums, but we never see them pregnant <laughs> ever. There's never pregnancy art. And so she did that pregnancy series. And to me, it's like the, kind of almost the same spirit where it's like in comics, we literally never, ever, ever see pregnancy stories that are told from the woman's perspective at all and from the father's perspective like you get pretty much everybody's perspective on this on this pregnancy but yeah i just think that it was so important because we just don't see it people with uteruses bodies have so much going on that just never makes it to the page right right so totally even exploring that at all is groundbreaking <laughs> it's kind of baffling cuz it's like here we are 2020 it's completely groundbreaking for you to like show a woman pregnant <laughs> like in a story but that's true absolutely and i think the other piece is like the struggling to become pregnant you know i have a lot of friends who are trans or queer or non-binary whatever who are trying to get pregnant and it's really hard and this character is trying to get pregnant with a man and so has a different experience but even then it was just so illustrative of like so many people's experiences that we don't see in comics exactly what you're saying. Again, I feel like it's valuing the lives of, of women as if women matter, which is lovely, you know? It's kind of no secret that, you know, pregnancy stories are rough. We have <laughs> Dana Scully, you know, um, oh my God. Deanna Troy, you know, oh all, my of these, God, all of these terrible, terrible pregnancy stories. And it's the same for comics. In comics, yeah. you know, you have something like, Maybe the Spider-Woman story, I think, the Dennis Hopeless Spider-Woman series would be the best take on that so far. But it's also immaculate conception, pretty much. She never tells you who the dad is for a long time. Like, she just kind of is pregnant. And then, you know, while she's giving birth, she's, like, fighting scrolls and, like, all of this stuff. And it's just kind of, like, that's a fun sci-fi story, definitely. And I'm glad that it does center pregnancy in the story. But it's definitely, definitely still someone who hasn't been pregnant definitely writing that story <laughs> because, you know, she's literally fighting scrolls while giving birth. I don't think that that's typical. With Gabby Rivera, we talked a little bit about the birth of America Chavez and how her parents conceived of her and how alternate that is. But, you know, even that's like in backstory, right? Like that's not the main thrust of the story. But I'm with you. There's so few depictions that are at all not creepy. <laughs> I mean, and not that, you know, pregnancy is creepy. I don't have beef with people doing creepy. But I guess I would <laughs> rather have people who have been pregnant, people who have the capacity to be pregnant or want to be pregnant or want to think about what pregnancy means, could mean for them. I'd rather hear from those folks, you know, people with uteruses or, you know, people who want to be pregnant or are, than like, you know, guys being like, I'm going to speculate about <laughs> what this thing would be. You know, <laughs> I had a wife who was pregnant once. Let me tell you about my thoughts. <laughs> oh or like when dudes are like, we're pregnant. And I'm just like, no, no, you're you're not we pregnant. <laughs> like <laughs> you are not pregnant. Your wife is pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Davis does such an incredible job just really exploring the main character's tentativeness towards it, her excitement, the process, 
And like you said, also her partner's process as he sort of grapples with what does it mean to be a parent. And he's great. He's such an interesting character. I loved everybody in this comic. I thought that they were all really interesting. It's just a testament to what a great writer is, you know? Like, she isn't afraid to make all of her characters super complex and leave the reader with like a, ooh, okay, I don't have a clear-cut, easy way of feeling about any of this. And I, to no. me, that's the kind of book I love to read. It makes me weep. I definitely just cried so many times. Like, I cried when they're crying and they hold each other in the storm. Oh, my God. I cried. Oh my God. All of the moments. That's the same thing that Why Art did to me, where it was like, yeah. I cried for different reasons throughout the whole book. Some of it's bleak. Some of it's asking questions that I can't answer. And then some of it is just, here's this baby that we just went through all of this struggle to create. And that's just like, I never want kids in my life, but I still weeped. <laughs> like, I still yeah, left. I really felt for them. Of course. Yeah, of course. And it's all about the continuation, right? And how well we're going to keep building and like pray and hold each other, you know, and like not pray like, you know, God pray, pray like, like pray, yeah, yeah. you know, hope, <laughs> I guess is a better word for it. <laughs> but actively, actively hope that's kind of the same as praying. But yeah, I don't know everything about it. It's just a great comic. It's the same as why art where it's just like this is something that is helping redefine this medium that has so much greatness to it. And we're still seeing brand, brand new takes that we've never seen before. And Eleanor Davis gives that every single time and is consistent in her vibe enough to be like, I just know if I pick up one of her books, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and it's in a good way. I'm going to think, I'm going to cry, and I enjoy it very, very much. So yeah, make sure you check out The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierced the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.